world is changing, and no one sees the danger. However, one man, accidentally imbued with extraordinary powers, could be the answer to it all. As visions compel him on a journey involving the legendary Excalibur and the Lady of the Lake, Arthur finds himself in England. The irresistible call brings him to the famous London Institute of Psychic Research, where he meets Ruth. The feisty, red-headed doctor wants nothing to do with the arrogant American, but her boss and the commander of MI6 have other plans. Believing the beautiful scientist is the key to controlling and weaponizing Arthur's abilities, they force the pair to work together. Ruth has no choice but to tag along, finding it increasingly difficult to fight her growing attraction for Arthur. However, when a camping trip along Lake George suddenly turns into a military expedition, the doctor realizes the precarious predicament she's in. And her unwanted partner isn't the only source of concern. There are more secrets hidden beneath the dark waters than anyone imagined. And, strangely, unknown forces are causing Arthur's senses to go wonky. He's losing control. Will he be able to recover his powers and prevent World War III? His next move may determine the fate of the world. You'll love this snarky urban fantasy sci-fi adventure because the twists, turns, and smoldering romance makes you want to keep turning the page. So, welcome to the Amphibian Pest Podcast. I'm V.S. Holmes, and with me today is Sahara Foley. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So give me a little background on your Excalibur saga. My late husband wrote stories, and then after he passed away, I started publishing them. So these are his stories that I am bringing back to life. Um, so I really can't tell you where his <laughs> what his idea <laughs> behind them was, you know, um, mm-hmm. because he never really went into that with me. But we used to. He would write his stories, and then... Um, I would read them to him aloud when I would get home from work, and um, I became so involved in them, and I, I loved the um, Excalibur saga is my favorite of them all. I love Arthur, and I love all the characters that come out later in the book, in the series. That's really interesting that you've taken his his work and given it new life, really. Um, and you, you said you don't really know his exact inspiration, but what are some of the, the themes that you have noticed as you work with his words? He always, well, especially with the Excalibur series, it's um, based on fate. Um, mm-hmm. Fate has a hand in what happens to Arthur, and then even in the second book with Pamela, his daughter, and then especially in Corinne, warrior child and warrior woman, fate plays a part in all of their lives. It brings them all together to save the world eventually. That's really fun. So urban fantasy, this is something I, I always ask with urban fantasy um, authors. And again, your, your answer might be a little different, but beyond the um, Arthurian legends, were there other aspects of mythology, either European or, or otherwise, that he incorporated into the world? No, it's, um, it's the first book is, is, is centered on earth, you know, in England, um, and it is purely all about the Arthur legend and Excalibur and the Lady of the Lake. The second book goes more into detail about who the Lady of the Lake really was. Well, we find that out at the end of the first book. Um, but then we go into that world um, and it goes out into space after that. So it becomes more sci-fi, a sci- science fantasy more or less, um, you know. But yeah, most of the readers that have read it and love it just love all the different characters and the different worlds that we built together. Yeah. Now, 
so you you say that you you built these wor worlds together, and um, in in your bio you talk about how he had all of these manuscripts that you know it wasn't really um, for the traditional publishing route, but indie publishing wasn't really a thing. Um, how did you mm -hmm. how did you start on the journey of publishing his work, and were were you revising it, um, or were you just sort of publishing it as as is? Because I find that that really fascinating. Um, he was a person, my husband was a person that could never take criticism. And so that was one problem, uh, you know, man, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he was a typical man that way. Yeah. I typed out the manuscripts to mail to publishers, you know, and, and I would try to, to send him right on things and he was like, ah, you know, so, <laughs> so, um, so after he passed away, it was such a void. I, um, and we, I had actually forgotten about the stories. They kind of got drug around with us, hidden in a box, you know. Um, and then after he died, it, they just kind of leaped to my mind. And I drug him out. And and I thought, well, this is going to help me, <laughs> you know, get, yes. I had to get focused again. I needed a goal, um, a purpose in life because I lost it after he died. Um, so what I did is I started reading books on writing. I didn't have a clue how to publish a book or to write or anything like that. So the first couple of ones, I kind of went how he did it. But I, as I was reading, you know, trying to improve my writing and trying to figure out how I'm supposed to do plotting and all that, I went back and redid some of them, um, obviously, because they were, you know, they were rough. But um, I, I just learned from trial and error, you know, more than anything else. It wasn't, you know, like you said, back then, when this all when he passed away, indie indie publishing then was available. So, yeah, I just kind of got behind it and really fell into it and found out that I enjoyed it. And since then, I've written kind of two of my own little short stories. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I was wondering how much um, of the manuscripts were were completed, and 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 then how much you know was sort of your own e extrapolating. Now, Arthur's story, I added to it because he was, um, Bob didn't really go into character development too much. You know, it was more just the plot. Um, so I added to the characters, added. Um, so that's a combination of him and I. Now, the second story with Pamela, the, the Revenge of Excalibur, more than half of that manuscript was gone. I had the beginning and I had the end. So I was... I, that's more or less all me <laughs> in that one. I, I really, the dots there. <laughs> I had to connect the dots. Yes, I really did. And, um, but that kind of helped me really. In fact, I never really thought I was going to do this series. Cause I thought if I can't get the revenge of Excalibur done, I can't do the next two books after that. So, um, that really helped me, I think, have more confidence in my ability too to write that mm -hmm. I could, redo that story and um that is more me it's more my voice than it is his now so <laughs> and it's even the next two after that it's more my voice than him i change him so much i don't even know what is him and what is me anymore you know yeah i think that's that's really neat because i feel like a lot of people who work with a co-author which is, is sort of a, a little bit what what you're doing you know they mm -hmm. they struggle with how to find a balance between their two voices, especially if, if they have fairly distinct writing voices. And so it's neat that you were able to sort of ease into your own voice through, you know, sort of different stages of, of working on his. Yeah, I, and I, 
I, um, I, I didn't, I don't know how to say that. Um, but I was, um, I, I held back a little bit at the beginning because I didn't want to change his words. I was, I felt like I was going to lose him if I did, you know, mm-hmm. but eventually, you know, I had to because yeah. it did, especially he had a male slant, especially mm-hmm. in my Korean and the Korean warrior child and warrior woman, it was all from a male's perspective. And, um, I just kind of changed that on him. And I always think, yeah. sorry, Bob, <laughs> but this is the way it is. You die. You left it to me to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cleaning up your mess. Oh. Yep. That's a, sort of a lovely metaphor too, for a lot of the grieving process is, you know, you, you want to keep things exactly as, as they were because you're concerned about losing this, this person's legacy, but then mm-hmm. you really do end up just incorporating them into yourself and you know taking taking the pieces that are still poignant to you yes exactly yep yeah Yeah, i my father passed away last year and so we i've been finishing a project that the two of us started together and it really is you know it's it's not nearly as um creative i would say as as writing but it's really helpful to have that thing to to focus on and, and connect with someone even after they're gone Exactly. Yeah, it does help. Um, and, and they'll always be a part of you because of that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, my readers don't know that Bob is behind those stories unless they really mm-hmm. read my bio. So in that sense, you know, maybe he has been lost, but I know where the stories come from. So to me, he'll never be lost. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you wouldn't have maybe started on the journey, or at least in the same way. So. <laughs> No, I never would have. <laughs> I never would have gone here if he hadn't died or if he hadn't written those stories. Yep. Now, you, you mentioned that there's sort of the, the Excalibur saga. Now, is it in these sort of two halves of the um, the first two books and then and then the latter two? Is it? Corinne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are they, are they sort of different storylines or are they just within the same world? No, they're not within the same world. They're, they take place... Um, uh, the Secret of Excalibur and the Revenge of Excalibur is like um, 25 years apart okay. um, because his daughter is the, is in the second book. Um, but then Corinne Warchild and War Woman is generations down the road. She is from, she's, she's still part of the family. Um, Pamela is her, I was a great, great, great grandmother, something like that. Okay. Um, and so, um, and they have silver power. That's something I don't want to give away too much in the book. But because mm-hmm. of who Pamela ran across and fell in love with in book two, she had children. And those children, um, um, and Corinne was the only one that came up with the silver power in her. But, um, yeah. But she was left alone, abandoned. Um, and she had to struggle on her own to find her own way. And then fell in love with Lurga, who was a Espepian warrior <laughs> from another planet. Yeah, everyone loves a love story. I love that you've kind of clashed these two genres together because, I mean, like like you said, science fantasy is you know sort of a distinct genre, and in in, in some ways it it is similar to urban fantasy, but in a lot of ways, especially with the genre norms and like the beats, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. that? Was that sort of a, a difficult thing to incorporate or was it just sort of natural as, as the story progressed? Well, the thing is, is 
back when Bob wrote these back in the 1980s, these stories, they didn't have all these different genres. It was just <laughs> fantasy, sci-fi, horror, you know what I mean? Romance. We didn't have all these different subcategories. So mm-hmm. you didn't realize he was crossing genres at the time. And even when I was publishing them, I wasn't even aware of all the different um, subcategories of genres. So I didn't realize it, but it has been an, um, a struggle trying to find out where they really fit because one story is urban fantasy and then it goes into science, um, sci-fi and it goes into paranormal romance because they're shapeshifters. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's been tough. It's, it's hard too, because I feel like a lot of readers, you know, we're, we're very voracious when we ingest all of these different worlds and, you know, finding your, your readership is increasingly difficult because you have all these little subgenres and maybe the readers don't necessarily know like, oh, I do like science fantasy, you know, but they, mm-hmm. they, they would, but they just don't know what to call it. And so trying to get, you know, that your, your work in front of someone is so difficult, even though, you know, once they, once they read it, they'll like it. Yes, exactly. Yep. And myself, as a reader, I'll read almost anything. I I do have a favorite of fantasy and sci-fi, but I can read romance. I can read thrillers, you know. So, um, so, and I found with my newsletter subscribers, a lot of them like the different genres too. They may have their favorite, but I I offer them books in different genres, and they always take them. So mm-hmm. I do know that they do like different, you know. I don't think people are still stuck in the mud now with genres like they used to be. No, no. I think also sci-fi and fantasy are becoming increasingly popular in the mainstream in a way that they never were before. Even even in the 80s when exactly. it was still like the cult following of it and they were hugely popular in this subculture. But now it's, I mean, partially probably with, with Game of Thrones hitting HBO, a lot of people are thinking it's cool. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then you got your heart, you have your people who love hardcore science fiction and they want all the details and I'm not that kind of a detail person. So, you know, that's, yeah, it's like, no. Well, the, the amount of research, because one of my series is fairly hard sci-fi and it's like, sometimes I hate myself for, for starting that in, in the first place, just because the amount of research I have to do. Like Physics? Come on now. Oh, yeah. 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 Because you'll get readers who will say, um, that's not right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm not a, not a rocket scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about some of your other work outside of the Excalibur saga, which you, you hinted at that you have some of short stories as well. Yeah, there are some short stories. Um, one of them that I wrote, I used for a reader magnet. Um, I've changed the name on it. It was it started out as a dare to myself to write a Christmas story for an anthology I was going to be part of. And so, of course, I, you know, I like fantasy and sci-fi. So I I wrote it as a um, fantasy type um, story. And I called it Silent Night because it was supposed to be Christmas themed. But then I just don't, I felt like the name didn't really fit us. So I changed it to Deke's Choice because the story is based on Deke and his Christmas Eve, he's getting ready to kill himself because of a terrible loss that he suffered several years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there was a knock on, and he was a bar owner on a um, colony, um, and a harsh colony, a mining colony. And so he was getting ready to kill himself when there was a knock on the door. He answered it, and there was this young girl who was pregnant and needed help. And that's where the story goes from that. 
Um, and everyone that has read it just love it, makes them cry because it is one of those kind of crying ones. It doesn't have a happy ending. Let me put it does, but it doesn't, you know. <laughs> it's it'll rip your heart out. But, ever after. <laughs> yeah, it's not a happily ever after, no, but it is it, to a certain degree. Um, I've even had people ask me for a sequel, and it's like, that's all there was. <laughs> you know, there was just nothing else. It was one of those ones I woke up and not, I woke up in the morning and went, oh my God, this is a story. And I, um, I always said, I still think Bob helped me with it after, you know, because he knew I was trying to write a story. <laughs> how, um, that's, that's actually sort of brings me to one of my other questions was, how do you sort of pay homage to him and his writing style and his voice in the work that is just yours? Because as, as you said, you, you share one pen name, but it's a, and, and your readers don't necessarily know that he's behind it. So how do you sort of keep his voice in your newer work that is really just, just your own voice? I really don't, to be quite honest. I mean, um, the first couple books, I dedicated them to him. Um, my standalone books, um, We Journey No More and It Lives in the Basement, I did dedicate to those to him. But once I got to Excalibur, um, no, I, I think by then I realized I was, you know, the readers don't care really mm -hmm. who wrote the books, you know, mm -hmm. um, they, they're going to see my name on it. They're going to see me and they're going to be reacting with me and not with him. Mm -hmm. So. I yeah. also think so many authors, our, our voices change fairly drastically over the course of our careers and even in between and, titles. So, you know, it's, it's not maybe and something they have to notice exactly yes yeah because you can't i mean i guess you can write the same story over and over again but i think at some point we'd get bored <laughs> well but we also improve supposedly it's supposed to improve as we write so <laughs> you know what we wrote you know because some some i hate to say some writers never will change they right. don't see that they need to change but um so but you know if you're really trying to hone your craft your book from book from two years ago is going to be totally different from a book you wrote right three years later you know yeah and god forbid you go and look at what you wrote two years ago <laughs> <laughs> i already revamped mine once it's like i'm not doing it again no they're they're ha i'm happy where they're at now <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I did go back through and rewrite them i did i did do a re-release with one of my titles which was like really good it was really really needed um but yeah after that amount of work i'm like no that's what, what, what you get is what you get now. <laughs> Hopefully I know enough. Yeah. Cause you have to keep moving forward. You can't keep going back. You know, your yeah. readers are going to understand that too. If they pick up your earlier books, they should anyway understand that your writing is going to improve as you go along. Yes. I, I saw something recently talking about that sort of drive to make every piece you work on kind of your, your best and, how we can get so bogged down in that. And really it's just about making that piece the best that that specific piece needs to be and not necessarily including every single fantastic idea you have floating around in your head. And I think that's really important. Well, and it is because then you'll get bogged down with unnecessary information in your book. You don't need, I'm, um, I am not a very elaborate writer. I'm very, I always tell everyone I'm like steak and potatoes. <laughs> and maybe a side of vegetables that's me and that's how I write I'm very plain I don't go into long detailed you know and some people are very fluent in how they write I'm just not that way um 
but vibrators don't seem to mind, so. Well, that, that pairs nicely, I think, often with this sort of flashier worlds in some ways, especially with like the fast-paced urban fantasy that a lot of people are, are used to. You know, it's nice to not necessarily get bogged down in the actual words themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm a yes. super lyrical writer, so that's, <laughs> that's sort of like the, the opposite of, of what I do. I just like wallow in words. Um, but it's, you know, I, I have to do a lot of cutting um, of, of my work afterwards because of that. So Kill in your darling, you know, and, and I think that kind of gives me a different perspective because when I started on Bob's stories, I have cut out some of his darlings that he never would have noticed. And I, so I kind of come to it as a perspective as a writer and also an editor at the same time as I'm doing his manuscripts. Does that make any sense? Because they're already, yeah. you know, there. So yeah, yeah. And I think it, it probably was in some ways, I, I would imagine, helpful as a writer to go through someone's work who, who you loved dearly, but it isn't specifically your work so it's a little bit easier you, you have that like one step of removal when you're going through and making those choices so when you move on to yours you can sort of look back and be like oh well I would have taken this out if it was his or if it was someone else's so I probably should take it out now yeah and that's one thing I look at um even after I you know do the initial draft and then I'll go and say okay does this scene progress to the next scene is it there for a reason does it help the storyline because and i have cut things out because i felt like it didn't you know mm -hmm. but that's what it's so, that's what, where so many writers get bogged down they don't realize that every scene is supposed to have a reaction down the road it's supposed to help progress the plot instead of you know getting sidetracked yes. <laughs> and they do some of them do I, I read somewhere recently about um by recently i mean like probably in the past like two years <laughs> but there was a, an author saying every scene is supposed to do at least two things. And a lot of my scenes, again, because I, I like to wallow, a lot of my scenes might not necessarily do two things. And that was really helpful for me as I continued to sort of hone my craft. Hmm, that is interesting. Two things is like, well, wait, it does one. <laughs> I, I also included like, okay, well establishing the world world building you know or or character development those those count too so once i i reminded myself of those things it's like okay it can still be a little pretty but it doesn't you know it can't just be only pretty yeah and i don't mind pretty writing i really don't i i envy writers who can write like that when i get a book a good book in my hand and i read it and i fall into the world and it's like god i wish i could write like that but those words just aren't there for me you know that's not who i am as a writer so well and a lot of readers like that more straightforward classic style which you know I, I think a lot of a lot of readers really like that because the words can fall away and they just get to experience the world without the trappings mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, people who just <laughs> I've read some books before where they went into so much description about the room and the clothes and it's like you lost me <laughs> I don't care <laughs> I, I had a friend defending her um, her not reading Lord of the Rings, and she's like, I can't spend 10 pages reading about a single shrubbery tree. Like, I, I just can't. <laughs> yeah, just, and, and that's, that's me too. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, Thank goodness for movies. <laughs> yeah, right. Where it's just 10 seconds on, not 10 minutes. Yeah. So 
what's next for you as as a writer and are you are you sort of now wholly on your own path as an author no i'm not i keep trying to come up with some ideas and I kind of have some vague ones, but nothing that really um, develops at all. Um, I think I have, Bob had a um, kind of a detective. Um, there were short stories based on some people that we knew in a bar that we used to hang around in. But I then also came up with an idea and I thought, oh, maybe I'll incorporate it into those stories. So I don't know how that's going to happen. That's kind of down the road. But right now I'm working on another one. He has that I really liked and I set aside when I was working on the Excalibur books. It's called Time Stones and it takes place in the past again, you know, like in the 80s because that's when it was written. Mm -hmm. um, and Pete, some this couple had found these stones down in the gully and, and took them home. Well, there were four of them and you put them around their garden and when they set them just right, it opened the portal into, it's based on the Hopi kind of religion. It took oh. them into yeah so it's it has some native americans it, it the, the main characters are native americans one's met an old medicine man and his son and it's their and it's the son's journey from being a modern native american to understand where his dad because his dad was a medicine man to understand mm -hmm. where his dad's coming from he always thought his dad was crazy you know yeah. <laughs> all the weird things that he did so this is his journey in a way to his heritage. That's really it's, cool. it's a good story. I really do yeah. like it. It's so it's kind of a, a, a time travel, you know, going mm -hmm. into the portal and stuff. I I do love like the classic portal fantasies. You know, a, I know a lot of um, publishing industry people say like, oh, well, portal fantasy is really overdone. It's like, yeah, but we still really need that escapism. So. <laughs> And we do, because you never know where that portal is going to take you. Every world right. is different, you know? Yeah. That's why Quantum Leap was so popular and, and Stargate SG-1, you know? Yes. They were still yeah. very popular because people, yeah, people want to go to a different to a different life. Yeah. Now, did, did he grow up in the southwest near Hopi area or, or no? He, he spent a lot of time. He was kind of an enigma that way. Um, he had a very strange life way before I ever met him. He, but he did spend time in Sarasota, Minnesota as a deputy down there. Um, and so he got to know a lot of the um, Native Americans from down in that area. So I know this is, this is um, inspired by that. Mm -hmm. Some of the old men that he knew down there. A lot of the um, Tony Hillerman books as well sort of have that detective mystery, but then also this almost supernatural paranormal undertone to it which is really fun anything that has a little extra spin to it you know like supernatural something those are mm -hmm. awesome <laughs> so yeah yeah I, I, I can pretty much not write something without some aspect of either sci-fi or fantasy you know every time I try to I, I tried to do romance um, briefly and it's like I, I just had to add bodies because I, I didn't know how else to, you know, to <laughs> make it exciting it's like there either has to be murder or explosions or magic i'm sorry <laughs> yeah exactly uh, i know romance can get so dull and boring the same over and over i mean yeah that's the thing it's like i like the, the romantic subplot but as as a writer i, I just get too distracted i guess <laughs> oh yeah because there's too much weird stuff that can happen why not put it in your book you know <laughs> exactly exactly so where can my listeners find you and find your your work um, I, I have a website, saharafoley.com, 
Um, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, I think it's called Sahara Foley Author on Facebook. Um, you know, I'll, obviously I'm on Amazon too. Um, I'm through mm-hmm. Kindle Un- Unlimited, so I'm not a widespread author at this time. Something I'm thinking about doing though, I don't know. Um, been on Amazon for many years as KU. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, also I, a, um, that, <laughs> like, I, I kind of want to start a project where I, I dip my toe in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hear pros and cons on it all the time. I'm in, um, mm-hmm. 20 to 50 K, um, Facebook group, which deals on a lot of marketing. If you've got the readers, you can go wide and have, you know, be awesome. But if you don't have the readers, KU is the best way to go, especially if you're yeah. just starting out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it really depends too, I think on, on genre, it's one of those marketing puzzles that I don't think we will ever really solve. <laughs> no, mm-mm. I, I know romance does really well in KU. I, I think science yes. fiction does too, to a certain degree. Um, but there again, then you have to rely on Amazon. That's another whole story. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that's true. Kindle unlimited subscription and get to read all the books for, for free. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. And I'll be sure to, um, you know, pop all those those links in the description below. And also, I have a, um, I'm a secret gamer at heart, so, and I started doing a Let's Play channel on um, YouTube. <laughs> so, they can always check me out there, too, if they just want to see an old woman get beat up by monsters. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. What, um, what games are you playing? I do, um, I like um, role-playing games, RPG games in turn-based. So, right now, mm-hmm. I'm doing the Abaddon series i'm on abaddon 3 the warborn right now but yeah yeah i i just got back into world of warcraft which was like one of the first big games that i that i picked up as a a teenager and it's been really really fun to kind of get back into that you know it's i think it's easy with the author mindset to you know any downtime you have because a lot of us have such busy lives any downtime it's like oh i it should be writing, but it's like you, you also need to have creative outlets and fun outlets that aren't work. Exactly. You need to relax the mind. And uh, to me, gaming relaxes my mind. Though I, But as an author now, I can see some of the bad editing in the narration. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who did your editing for this? <laughs> yeah, I think I think my, my spouse has a, a little bit of frustration with me whenever we watch something. And I'm like, well none of that made sense for this character and well the the writing of this episode seemed you know a little lackluster and it's like okay i should <laughs> i should learn to let people enjoy things yeah. too <laughs> yeah but it's hard once your eyes are open to certain things yeah you can't yeah. <laughs> unsee them again you know yeah yeah for sure um well, i think that's that's about our time but thank you so much for joining me today this was a really fun fun talk and i think it's such a neat way for you to honor your your husband and also explore your own writing thank you um i appreciate very much being on your channel yeah yeah no problem yeah last year i wasn't even really i kind of gave up i had some major surgery last year and i just like i don't even want to deal with this anymore i don't need it and then this year it just kind of came back on me again and it's like all right (laughs) (laughs) back into it yeah, there's, there's definitely an ebb and flow, I think, with when it comes to other life stuff colliding with creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Well, thank you so much again. And this has been the Amphibian Press Podcast. I'm V.S. Holmes. And with me today was Sahara Foley. Thank you so much for listening.